The hosts feel it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to. Well, we've warned you. Hello and welcome to the Frankencast. I am disgraced scientist Anthony Bowman. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm joined by... Eric Velasquez. I'm uh, a pile of shambling bones that has loosely been reconstructed. Also uh, he, him. Uh, Those are my pronouns. Anthony, so can I take you back in time? Sure. All right, let's go back to 1816. There's a group of very talented writers in this one room. Uh, It's raining outside. They've been having a wonderful vacation that may or may not have consisted of many, many, many drugs. Uh, In this room, we have... The likes of Piercy Shelley, Lord Byron, uh, and John Polidori. But we also have uh, one of the most important people, at least related to this podcast. Uh, we have um, Mary Wollstonecraft. Now, do we remember what she was uh, telling the story about at the time? Maybe it was about a certain reanimated corpse. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I believe they were whiling away the cold evenings because that was the famous year without a summer i believe there was like a a volcano that went off on the other side of the world and they had to uh had to stay inside and they decided to have a contest to tell the scariest story and uh you know mary won (laughs) uh and you know definitely her not only did she win you know in the short term but i would say that her you know her story definitely won in the long run Mm -hmm. um it's uh it's definitely stood the test of time yeah so that's that's kind of what we're looking at here is this this little story made on this one night in 1816 has uh, inspired so many adaptations countless i've i think i've got a list of about 100 at this point and i'm sure i'm missing plenty so each episode we are going to look at one of those adaptations we'll probably do a lot of movies but there are other forms that this is you know there's plays and books and games there's just there's a lot of a lot of territory to cover there really is and so i so for this first episode we are going to talk about not the first adaptation actually but definitely the most iconic adaptation which is the universal frankenstein from 1931 directed by james whale and starring boris karloff uh and you know many others yeah indeed so just how wild is it just a hundred years after she sat and basically had a storytelling session with her best friends that they would then make well like you said they made a few adaptations before that but then uh you know like you said 1931 the big one you know so yeah and how does it start off let's go to that kind of like the intro right 
Yeah, yeah. So I actually I saw some stuff about this. Like apparently this was added a little after they had shot everything else because the the studio was concerned that the movie was too scary. Like watching it now, it's just like, oh, this is a cool sort of like warning that kind of you know sets the tone. Um, but like this was legitimately like a, an actual warning. Like, hey, you might not be ready to watch this movie. And of course, we see it now, and you know it's it's tame by today's standards, but. I, I wish that I could watch this movie through the eyes of somebody in 1931 uh, and, like, actually be scared by what I'm seeing. So, yeah, it, it starts with Edward Van Sloan, who in this movie plays Dr. Waldman, and audiences would have recognized him because he was in Dracula, which came out, like, I think eight months before this. Like, Universal was just knocking it out of the park. Yeah, that year there were three really big, like, horror movies. So we had, uh, in February, we had Dracula. And I believe this one came out in, uh, Frankenstein came out in November. And then you had Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which came out on December 31st of that year. Wow. So what a year. What a year. Yeah. Okay, um, sorry. Yes, no, yeah, so so yeah, uh, Van Sloan played Van Helsing in that, so he was a familiar face, and, you know, he comes out and, and warns the audience that they may not be ready for this movie, and, uh, you know, you've been warned, as he says. So then it goes into the credit sequence, which is one of the only instances of music in the movie, which it's, it's interesting because it feels, it's got such a, like, a moody tone to it, that like I didn't even like I've watched it countless times and I did not even notice that there wasn't music throughout the whole movie until this time I was like you know taking notes basically it's like opening and closing credits and that's it right how how wild is that though by the way like you notice you do notice the moments of silence like uh, there's going to be a scene we're going to talk about later but that especially when there the when there's the moment of stillness after a certain uh, let's say swimming incident, uh, <laughs> but that hits pretty hard. Versus, like you said, there's really only the music in the beginning and the end. Yeah, yeah, and it's like you you, th- you think about like the actual resurrection scene, and like it just feels so big, like that it in your mind you just like put those strings, you know, the like the loud epic orchestra music, and it's just not there. It's just all in the you know the sound effects, like the the lightning and and the dr frankenstein you know yelling and stuff like that that's that's it but yeah so so you got the credits where you got like it says the monster question mark like karloff doesn't get his actual credit until the end yeah um, to kind of like make it a little bit more mysterious and then you go right into a funeral and the first scene i think really shows you what you're getting into because it it doesn't look real at all like it's definitely a set like oh yeah soundstage and everything Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's I know it's heavily influenced by a play that had come out several years before, and it feels like a play. Like you can see, like these are the the graves are like wooden gravestones that are just like set up, and you know the background is painted, and it's yeah, yeah, the matte paintings. Mm-hmm. But it it works, like the you know it's it doesn't look cheap. Like it looks like that's what they you know not like we had to do this because that was the budget. It's like this is what we wanted. This is the mood we're setting here and it it totally works yeah so like one thing i noticed was that like as you said right in the beginning it was kind of very toned down german expressionism and it's it's like that gets ramped up until 
till after the monster's re- like fully revealed and has his scene with Fritz especially. Like I noticed that everything kind of goes topsy turvy at that point. Oh yeah, like the castle already is so weird and angular and then yeah, when when they take him to that room, mm-hmm. the perspective on that room is crazy. Like it's it's obviously just a painted background, but it like does not look real at all but it makes you feel so uncomfortable and i I, it's definitely on purpose right yeah so like you said uh we immediately open up grave digging scene uh we have our friend fritz with uh dr henry frankenstein yeah so i saw something about that too like it's so weird so you know obviously in the book it's victor frankenstein that's like Mm -hmm. the and then you've got henry's friend is just named victor so it's victor moritz yeah yeah so they apparently the studio thought that Victor was too severe of a name, mm-hmm. and so they decided to go with Henry for the main character. But then, for whatever reason, they decided to keep the name Victor in the story, possibly to make you distrust Victor, since they thought it was a, a severe, untrustworthy name. I, don't, <laughs> I, I think maybe there's a little bit of like distrust of Germans going into that. But of course, you know Frankenstein. Like, you, right? You don't get more German than that last name, so. Uh, maybe they just wanted to soften it a little bit. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking too. Like what you said was because, all right, at this point, the great war is less than what? 50, it's maybe 12, 12, 13 years finished. So it's still pretty fresh in everybody's mind. So, and at that point you, you have German beers that are kind of anglicizing their names a little bit so that they're not getting hit as hard as whenever the great war was going on. So yeah, I kind of have a feeling that there was a little bit of that going on behind the scenes. But yeah, we have Dr. Frankenstein, Fritz. They recover this body, and then they move on to a uh, person who was hung. Yeah. So, so yeah, they immediately collect two bodies back to back. And I was... So I looked this up, too, because I was, I was wondering how much this would have been like a factor in the, the book. Uh, I was thinking about Burke and Hare, like seeing them dig up the body, and you know, the, the like resurrection men who were digging up bodies in the 1800s and and selling them to universities for uh, uh, medical research but that actually happened in 1830 so it would have Mm. been a little bit after you know after mary wrote the book but i definitely think it was like an influence on the film like there's there's definitely like it's hard not to see that when they're you know hiding behind something <laughs> waiting for the funeral to end so they could immediately dig up the body right and the and the, the amazing immaculately uh tailored uh grave digger uh, <laughs> I, I i couldn't help but notice it's like this guy is in a not pretty nice suit and he's uh <laughs> he's digging this grave here but yeah as soon as he's done he lights his pipe walks off and then boom there they are yeah and then yeah i mean like you have ba- you know they're they're making it pretty obvious how this creatures being created so you have them digging up the body then the person on the gallows and then they immediately you you cut to the medical school and uh fritz collecting a brain which has like one of the only like really comedic moments in the movie there's just like this skeleton hanging from the ceiling that just keeps like dangling comically and like there's a couple where it like cuts away and then comes back and it's just bouncing for no reason right uh it's just in the background so yeah and then that's where he of course drops the, the the good brain and then has to take the abnormal one instead which of course you know there's a lot of like phrenology and all all that goes into yeah that wonderful you know. pseudoscience <laughs> yeah yeah so uh that we have to kind of suspend our disbelief mm-hmm. on that. i'm not sure phrenology was 
I mean, of course, by the time that the movie was made, I feel like that was pretty much like debunked at that point. But of course, all of these kind of like pseudosciences were definitely around in the zeitgeist, you know, when the book was written, at, at least. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's 1930. I, I feel like pseudoscience is pretty much getting ready to hit its peak. <laughs> I'm just, that's my opinion on it. Yeah, of, well, of course, you know, saying that here in 2021 where that's we're true. dealing with plenty of pseudoscience. I, yeah, that's also, uh, you got me there, hindsight and all that. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, that also, uh, to, to kind of hang a lampshade on that uh, for later, it will be another classic joke that's repeated in Young Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, Abby Normal. <laughs> yep. So then, yeah, once he collects the body, then we cut away to some new characters, and we get uh, we get to meet Elizabeth, um, Henry's fiance, um, reading a letter from Henry, and then there's, like, this whole... This is where you get a lot of exposition and kind of, like, context for the story. So Victor comes by, and they talk about how they're not sure if, if Henry's... Uh, experiments like if he's getting too obsessed and you know the wedding's coming up and is he gonna you know be able to focus on his you know starting his family when he's got these this crazy experiment that's mysterious they don't really know what's going on up in the castle and that you know of course that like leads right into the next scene where they go see uh dr waldman well real quick can i cut, cut you off yeah yeah all right so henry's henry's area of study was and I quote chemical galvanism and electrobiology. How amazing is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why I, I want to right? agree in that as well. That sounds <laughs> that's something. All right, but yes. So we we move on then to the uh, the actual uh, laboratory of uh, Doctor Frank Henry Frankenstein. Yeah, and that's this is when we first get to see the the, the castle set, and it's just. Everything about it is just wonderful. You've got this this tall cat. You know the 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 ceilings are high, and it's the stormy night, and you've got all these weird scientific you know implements that are all just kind of weird electrical looking things, and uh, yeah, it just it looks very right, sciency. Yeah. So yeah, everything looks like it has a purpose, uh, even though most of it's just kind of there for show. Um, so as you stated we get ready to go ahead and go into the actual bit. However, Henry gets uh, interrupted by his uh, fiance, uh, best friend and Dr. Waldman. Yeah. And they're very skeptical. And I think it's Waldman who goes so far as to like, say he might be crazy, um, which leads to crazy. Am I? Mm -hmm. And then that's when he starts the, the reanimation right, process. Exactly. And he's uh, what is it? The uh, a ray beyond the ultraviolet ray, the uh, ray of light, light that brought life into the world. I love that line. That's so good. Yeah, the it's it's more kind of like pseudoscience. It's it's that kind of like MacGuffin kind of language where it, like it doesn't mean anything, but it just sounds right and it feels mm -hmm. good. Uh, I feel like you know, it's we're kind of getting into a place in movies now where like everybody has to have an explanation that everything needs to make sense and they've kind of like moved away from just like we can just kind of like explain this away and move on like it doesn't have to be a whole big thing like we don't have to exactly understand why this is happening we just you know henry knows why it's happening and that, yeah that's we don't enough. have to worry about reversing the polarity on the jeffries tubes i mean you know that's it's just <laughs> nice to say right 
Yes, exactly. So then, yeah, I mean, it's uh, you've got. Oh, I, I really did like the line where, like, I think it's Waldman says something about like, you know, this you've got this dead body, and he's like, no, this isn't a dead body. I made this right. with my own hands. I don't think in the book it actually is corpses combined like it's i think it's just that he made it it's never really explained how if i remember correctly but i like this i think this is kind of where you set the precedent that like the creature is made of various body parts stitched together and that that it's a new thing you know it's not just one dead body brought back to life this is a a whole this is a brand new adam not the not the same old guy who born from man and woman it's the man born from science Yes, which, of course, you know, that leads to, like, the iconic line. Well, I I guess we should... So, of course, then they, you know, they raise the body through the ceiling in this, like, epic soaring scene that, again, has no music. It's wild. Now, it didn't have music. However, like, the sound of the storm, I... Like, part of me is, like, did they really wait for, like, an actual storm to hit? Or is this somebody who ran out and recorded all of this sound, this, like, the whipping of the wind and, you know, all this thunderclaps and everything like that because wow like that actually kind of sent a shiver up my spine at that point oh yeah i mean it's such an intense moment right and then so the body goes up you got the lightning you got uh, and then comes back down and which and again like i feel like there's probably a simpler way this could have been done but it would have looked way less cool like that whole scene with the table being lifted and the the you know the sheet draped over the body and everything like it just looks so cool it's i mean it's definitely like one of the biggest set pieces in the movie and definitely one of the most like iconic scenes in all of horror history just because you know it's so big it's it's not done in the simplest way possible it's definitely like james whale is putting every you know this is this is where he spent the money on the budget oh yeah Especially with, uh, I kind of, part of it actually kind of made me wonder how dangerous the set actually was because there's like that breaker box over in the corner that's really going off. Do you know what I'm talking about during the whole scene? Yeah, all the, like the weird sparks and stuff yeah, shooting out of it, it and that, everything. That does not look like a staged prop. That looks like someone is running live current and it's like hopping fuses. So I'm kind of like... It's like, did they tell the actors, don't get within like 100 feet of this thing or you will probably get shocked pretty bad? Yeah. You know? And of course, you know, all that backdrop stuff is all just like fabric and everything. Right. Like, it's probably like could have gone up in flames. I do wonder how many fires uh, happened on that set. That would be very interesting to find out. I'll have to look that up later. Yeah. But yeah, so immediately the body comes down, the hand starts moving and as you said that famous line go ahead well of course there's the it's alive it's alive which i think he says like seven or eight times Mm -hmm. and then then says now i know what it feels like to be god which was like i think one of the most controversial parts about this movie right it got cut from i think like the original run it was there and then it got cut when it went back to theaters a few years later and when it was on television it was cut so like i think when it came out on dvd it was like a big deal that they like found that line and put it back in the movie yeah I could see that, yeah. But it 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 definitely put you in his mindset. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it it's it's sort of like the whole that you know, that's sort of the thesis of the the book and the movie is like yep. This is about man trying to become god. Exactly. And that hubris that's involved with it. Yes. So afterwards they cut to Henry's father. I'm double checking his name because I I thought that was pretty wild, but 
if I remember correctly, didn't they call him Darren or is he actually Victor Frankenstein? Because on the information I'm seeing, he's credited as Victor. The father is credited as Victor. Oh, okay. But I remember I think that's Darren. Darren. Maybe Baron. that's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think that's his his title. So, but yeah, he, he's also a kind of comedic element in the movie cuz he's just so grumpy. <laughs> yeah, just hilariously grumpy. Well, for a German, he's awfully British, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the clip yeah. the clip speech and the dry humor. Yeah. And so he and he, of course this goes back to, you know, the I think they use the secondary characters as like the exposition and like he wants to, you know, he kind of is continuing the thing that like, we need to get the wedding going. Like the, these experiments are taking away from carrying on the, the Frankenstein name. So he wants to go get Henry. Ba- and I, I think there was somewhere, I forgot to write it down, but there's some point where he says something about the windmill. Right. So I looked this uh, i was trying to find some stuff out about it and i think it was in i watched the movie with uh, a couple commentary tracks on the the version i have and apparently at one point the windmill was like the whole like was everything was like the there wasn't a castle set like yeah. the experiments happened in the windmill and then you know there's the big windmill scene at the end um and apparently this line didn't get fixed when they decided to move everything to the castle ah. um so so he kind of prematurely mentions a windmill that doesn't make any sense yeah because later on i'm thinking wait there's two windmills now one's made of stone and then we have the wooden one at the the end but we'll get to that later yeah but then yes Berger, bergenmaster uh vogel decides to shove his way in and uh, make sure that the wedding is going to go as planned yeah so the village is waiting i guess you know frankenstein being the baron there's like this sort of level of royalty and you know it's it almost feels like like a serfdom or something where like everyone in the village like looks up to the baron and his family and so these people that you know don't actually know them are like this is like the the celebration for the town is like everybody wants to be present for this big celebration for the wedding so so the village is waiting and and henry is holding things up with his uh, his experiments and his dad assumes that maybe in fact it is in a uh, his experimentations with a uh, another woman who was not going to be his bride oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think then it goes to you got like henry and the professor talking and this is kind of when like the professor gets roped into the experiments right um and uh, that's when Henry finds out that the brain used was a criminal brain and not the uh, not the normal brain. It was Abby's once again, as we <laughs> exactly. Right. And then so next is I think this is my favorite scene in the whole movie. So they like Henry tells the professor that like the creature has been kept in darkness this whole time, and so this is where we like get to see you know Karloff's grand entrance. He he comes into the room backwards to like really you know so you get to see him just bit by bit you see the big body and the the you know flat top head and then he turns slowly and you see like his gaunt face and uh it's it's so striking um and then immediately after that you see you get to see the creature and in all his glory and then henry lets the creature see light for the first time and this scene gets me every time i've seen this movie a hundred times and when the creature looks up and sees the light and raises his hands up it's just like it it's so childlike like the what Karloff is able to do with no dialogue 
um, and under all that makeup is just so powerful. Like it's it's such a like a beautiful moment. Yeah, and he is Karloff is definitely the shining star of this whole movie, even though he says nothing. Yeah, like he every every emotion, every thought that's going through this creature's brain, he conveys masterfully. So, and as you said, when he's first revealed, the face is gaunt. It's very ghoulish. But one thing that I noticed that I thought was really cool in regards to the makeup was when they first really reveal him and he throws his arms up. Like, if you take a look at his arms, he's doing something with his hands that makes, and honestly, the makeup just makes it look like they are, every part of him is different. They didn't belong to the same guy, but this is all just a cobbled together being. Yeah, like, it does feel like his arms are not responding the way that, like, there's, like, nerve endings there that are learning how to move, and the two hands don't move the same way, and, yeah, it's, yeah, the, the yeah, he's just, and, and not only is, does he not talk, but he's not in that many scenes, right. like, he's, but, yeah, I mean, you know, there, there are just countless pictures of him everywhere, like, you know, it's such an icon, there's just shirts and post you know like this face is one of the most recognized faces in in horror for sure undeniably and like you know part of that is i think jack pierce was the makeup uh the the guy who created the makeup Mm -hmm. and you know i mean that definitely was an iconic choice but but then there's just karloff's face and and what he does and like um, just for this movie, I guess he had like some teeth that were missing and had like um, dentures that he removed and it caused his face to be a little more sunken in. Um, so it's like, I think one side specifically looks a, like more sunken than the other. And that's because Karloff made this choice, which I think he couldn't do for the next movie because he, he does talk a little bit in it. So, you know, then of course you got to have the, the teeth in there so that you can speak clearly. Right. But yeah, I mean, that's why he looks, you know, he Frankenstein never looks better than he looks in this movie. It's true. Frankenstein's monster. monster. I, yeah. Real quick, I'm just gonna say we're gonna be talking about these movies a lot, and I am not one of those people who is very pedantic about that. I will call the monster Frankenstein all the time. I don't see anything wrong with that. If if you have a kid, the kid gets your name. If you create a monster, he takes your name. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It effectively is the son of Frankenstein, right? Yeah, exactly. So he's just another Frankenstein. Yes. So if that's something that's going to bother you, you you know, you might want to move along. Right, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) We'll go ahead and warn you now before you listen, you know. Right. And that that is kind of another thing that going back to the father is that he's, uh, he actually references the house of Frankenstein and young Frankenstein that will become movies later on. But obviously he's just talking about his family's lineage right now. And to a degree, the monster is his grandson, whether he likes it or not, whether the whether Dr. Henry Frankenstein likes it or not. This creature is effectively his child. And that's a thing in the books as well. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, like he keeps talking about like his legacy. And then, like, if you look at this, this is the legacy of the Frankenstein name is this this creature. And, you know, of course, like there really were real people named Frankenstein mm-hmm. and this is their legacy too thanks to right. thanks to Mary Shelley mm-hmm. but yeah i mean it's it's you know like you said this is this is what they're carrying on yeah and that's and also at this point in the movie that's kind of when the german expressionism and or from what i've noticed kind of hits a little bit harder everything starts to look even more tilted more twisted uh the castle setting 
looks a little bit uh, more kind of ethereal. It's if if you notice, there's kind of more of a spiral going on in in the background. So I thought that you know at that moment the madness was kind of hitting hitting a crescendo. You know, it was oh yeah going to its peak. But then of course we have our friend Fritz who decides he's going to hop in and help everything with his torch. Yeah, and th- like that's the this that surprises me. I mean like you know, it's obviously it's the point of the story, but like the the fact that Henry goes from this being like an all-consuming passion <laughs> that he's going to create this this creature and then instantly as soon as the creature exists, he goes to like hating it. Like with I mean you know, I mean, you've got Fritz pushing him around with with a torch, and and like they're shoving him in like his little jail cell, basically, and chaining him up and stuff. And it's just like, you know, I think in the book they maybe spend a little bit more time like explaining why, and you obviously don't have that yeah. time here. But like, it's just like a light switch, and I feel like it kind of becomes like a metaphor for like humans, cre- you know, humans as a creation of God, and like God created us, and then where is he? Like he, you know, like. Um, so there's, the, uh, and of course, I think, you know, James Whale, um, is sort of like famously an out gay man in a time when that wasn't very, uh, approved. So I'm sure he had feelings about like being someone who was created to be hated. Yeah. And surprisingly, in a few more, few years after this, it would be even less approved during the Hayes yeah. period. So that's unfortunate, but yeah. Yeah. So then you got, you know, you got the torch scene and then immediately after that, you've got the creature in chains getting whipped. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, the creature didn't ask to be created. He just suddenly was, and then is immediately punished for existing. How hard does that hit by the way, right now? Oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. For, I mean, yeah. absolutely. And so mm-hmm. then you, you know, you have the creature strike back and kills Fritz. I mean, those happen. I mean, those scenes are just like quick back to back to back. They really are. And I can't imagine anybody could watch that and like feel like the creature wasn't justified. You know, I mean, it's clear that it's basically self-defense, you know, like the creature Mm -hmm. is definitely the sympathetic character here. Oh, easily. Yeah. With Fritz's glee of just like smacking it around with that whip and, as we mentioned earlier, throwing the fire, thrusting the fire in his face. Yeah, although one thing I did, I did notice this time was that, you know, they talk about the creature has killed Fritz, and then you see Fritz hanging, like he's hanging. So I'm, I'm right. How did he do it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's strange. Like you would expect just like a crumpled body in the corner or something, but the fact that he's like hanging from a beam, like swinging, which of course calls to mind the, you know, the the man on the gallows at the beginning and the dangling skeleton in the lab so there's like a kind of a through line there but i'm not really sure what the creature did to you know i I don't see the creature make like you know tying up a noose or anything maybe he did it with his own whip but i I, once again we don't know we didn't see anything so who knows that's a little extreme for someone who's been born literally yesterday to be able to tie such a knot i think (laughs) Yeah, and of course, as a, the audience were, you know, sympathetic to the creature, but the two doctors are obviously not so sympathetic. So as soon as, you know, he is killed, they're like, we must kill the creature. And apparently they uh, decide to sedate him, and that, some, that apparently works. Yeah. They pull out the needle and give him an injection, and he goes down within a few moments. Yeah, and when he goes down, too, that's another, like, really childlike moment. Like, you see where he kind of, like you can almost see like the cartoon butterflies or something like he kind of like looks up and kind of reaches around like what's happening yeah. you know and then goes down um so yeah there's definitely like a sweet little moment as you know right after such as you know 
intense upsetting moment yeah no doubt it does add a little bit of a uh, little bit of levity to the whole scene like you said when he's when he's grasping for the butterflies and then then after that that's when we see the creature just in his cell this is the scene that i was really noticing that the perspective was just crazy mm. like the room looks uh, i mean it looks like a hallway basically it looks so elongated and I, I feel like it kind of makes you as the audience feel very small in this room and when you've just you know when the creature's so big it makes it makes the creature almost look small in like the grand scheme of things as well and then from there it's henry is like feverish and they decide to like take him to the town and the professor waldman you know is says that he's going to take care of it you know i think he says he'll be painlessly destroyed uh which feels like you know i mean that's like right uh, euthanasia or something exactly i was i was thinking like okay they're trying to treat it they're treating this creature like a pet and the pet apparently has gone rabid and it's they're deciding to put it down and that just makes it even sadder yeah like destroyed is definitely a word that you use when like you don't want to feel bad about ending a life right. like you don't uh you don't destroy something that has a soul or that you know has consciousness um but you know, this is just a thing we made in the lab, so we can, you yeah, know, we can as it. easily as we made it, we can unmake it. It's like a vase, right? That's how that works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, then I believe, like you said, they uh, take Henry away, but uh, we, I think we open up next in uh, Waldman's lab, where he's trying to painlessly destroy it. Yeah, and that doesn't go so well for him. No. So, I mean, here's here's my thought. I mean, if you're if you're actually in the process of, let's say, deconstructing, for for lack of a better word, uh, a brand new human being, roughly, I don't know that you're going to take the time. I'm, and don't get me wrong, I'm not a doctor. I don't know the the ins and outs of this. I'm I'm definitely not a galvanistic electrochemical engineer or anything like that. But uh, I feel like you're still not going to go in to listen for the heart. And I think you're just going to go about your work. That That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's sort of the beginning of, like, the horror trope of, like, we think the thing, you know, how many slasher movies have, like, we think he's down, yeah. but we're going to get close and look at him just to see. Or Yeah, we got to check, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, there's always those moments where it's like, we're going to step over the dead body and then get our foot grabbed or whatever. And, yeah, this is... This is the like the genesis of that bad decision, I guess. <laughs> yep, you're not wrong, because of course <laughs> our uh, our friendly or not so friendly at this point monster or Frankenstein uh, grabs Waldman by the back of the neck and then the front of the neck and starts choking him out. <laughs> yep, and so yeah, now his body count is up to two. Mm-hmm. He's gotten them. So then he just leaves the castle and. Then you kind of have like bouncing back and forth where you've got like the village and the the wedding planning and stuff, and then you you have the creature. Uh, I mean, first you see the you get to meet the little girl with her dad, so you get this sort of like sweet family moment, Maria. which is yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that is one of those like it's such a short little scene, but it like you you know the you know you feel connected to this little girl like right away, um, which of course she's just like a sweet little girl, like it's easy to to you know fall for her, but. I like that you don't just meet her immediately with the creature. Like you have her have this conversation with her dad. So you just have this little snapshot of like that she has a life and that, you know, this is this is what a normal day looks like for her. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah. And this is, I guess, one of the most 
you know, another one of the more iconic scenes in the movie that's just like so heartbreaking. Right. So, but also her dad's going into town. I don't remember exactly what for, but he, he makes a point of I'm going into town, and I'll I'll bring that up here in a moment because there was kind of a, a continuity issue that I thought I may be wrong. I didn't look it up, but I'll definitely refer to it later. But yes, as you were saying, this is one of the most heart wrenching uh, scenes in which she says, "I'm I'm making a boat," and she tosses little petals into the pond, and. Yeah, and, like, you have the creature finally meeting a person who doesn't hate him. Right. Like, this little girl doesn't see that he's an ugly monster. Like, he's just this guy, you know, He's and they're just, you know, she's just showing him what she's doing, and he's entertained, and so he plays along, and they're having a, a really pleasant time. And, like, it's, you know, this is the life that th- this creature deserves is, like, people who aren't afraid of him who you know want to teach him things and spend time with him but of course a little girl is not the ideal candidate to do that as we see to be friends with a giant monster yeah yeah (laughs) and so of course it goes poorly for the for the little girl um uh when when the creature runs out of flower petals he decides to see if she will float and she does not no unfortunately not and this is another scene that was edited for a lot of the releases and apparently in, in a lot of early cuts they yeah this was cut out right just him picking her up and throwing her in the water right. so you have him meeting her them throwing flowers together and then the next time you see the little girl is when her dad's carrying her you know a few scenes from now so they like i think censors thought that the actual act of him throwing her in the water was just too gruesome to see but what ended up happening was a lot of audiences were imagining things much worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you you know when you see that it's just he tosses her in the water, like it's un, you know it's unfortunate, but like you know it's one of those cases where like the uh, the human imagination is is much worse, you know. And so I think there were you know accounts of people thinking that there was like a sexual assault that occurred or something like right. that, which is even you know, worse. much more horrible. Right. Yeah. And how how weird is it though that this little girl? I mean, don't get me wrong. It's this is real life. This happens, unfortunately, and that that's even worse. But she apparently didn't know how to swim, or else this would have gone in a totally different way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have a a kid that, which of course she lives by a, a little pond, so it would stand to reason that like she should learn to swim. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, not to not to victim blame, right. but like you know, yeah. If if she was familiar and comfortable with that pond and just you know jumped in and or was thrown in and swam back then that would have been a game you know it would have been fine Mm -hmm. but no in this case she's a little too young or a little too inexperienced and and it doesn't go that way but then we uh after that uh we have a scene i thought this was interesting that it was kind of sped up with the uh the monster running around in a panic did you notice that as well yeah yeah it did seem like they just like upped the frame rates just a little bit uh, just to kind of like make it seem more frantic. Yeah, and I thought that worked pretty well. And then we, uh, then after that, we cut to what looked like kind of like a picnic or afternoon tea with Henry and Elizabeth, uh, where they just decide, hey, let's get married, like now. Yeah. After this severe, severe traumatizing incident. Yeah. So it's like as soon as Henry gives up on the the creature, he's you know as as everybody's been trying to get him to do this whole time, he's dedicated to, you know, the marriage and, and building, you know, building the house of Frankenstein, the, the normal way, Mm -hmm. you know, 
with you know wife and child and all that i think that's when oh victor shows up and and puts a damper on things because he discovered Waldman's dead body right. which you know that's when like the town starts to or it begins the the snowball of like everyone starting to panic that like the, the creature's on the loose oh but then but first we actually i think victor and henry leave to go find the creature but of course they shouldn't have left because then he immediately shows up in Elizabeth's dressing room, which I think was probably like one of the earliest like scream queen type scenes. Like she really, you know, she sees the creature and really lets loose. Right. <laughs> and his, uh, his little before attacking her was uh, also <laughs> a moment of comedic genius, whether in- yeah. intentional or unintentional. Yeah, they kind of like have a little dialogue where she screams a little bit and then he growls and then she screams louder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From there, the next scene is uh, is the, the father carrying the, the little girl into town. Right, so that, that brings me to a question. So the dad was going into town to begin with. So did he just like say, oh, I forgot my lederhosen for the party. And then <laughs> he went back and I guess he found her at that point. Because how else would he have known? And yeah, I mean that would. Yeah, I guess that that is a bit of a continuity error that they probably just like at that point wanted to get the the ball rolling. Right. Let's get dad out of the picture so we can throw the little girl in the pond, which does not sound good. But I'm sure someone said it in the past. But and then uh, bring him back in. All right. Now let's continue the movie. Okay. Yeah, and that I mean, seeing that like the expression on that guy's face, like he's basically, you know, in yeah. two minutes of the movie, but like. He really, you know, yeah. acts the hell out of this scene. Like, he's just, he almost looks like, like he's, like, blind with, with like, Grief. pain. Yeah. Like, his his eyes are just, like, dead, staring off into space as he's just, like, limping along, carrying her lifeless body. Yeah, he's emotionally gutted, right? I mean, he's he's got yeah. nothing left in him. So, clearly, Maria was his world. and Yeah, and, and that's when you start to get the, like, they, you know... There's there's never a question of like how did this happen who did it like immediately it's like the creature did it and then you've got like you know the angry mob like the first prototypical angry mob that you know becomes such a staple of horror movies as well you got the the torches and the pitchforks and the shovels and everything I mean it's you know very very iconic and you you know what watching it this time reminded me of something that so in the past I'd always remembered mistakenly that like they were also kind of hunting Dr. Frankenstein. No, he's part of the search party. He's literally leading yeah. one third of the party to the mountains. Yeah. They don't No one that really holds it against him that he's right. created this. It's like, this is your responsibility, but eh, we're all going to get going on this. Cause you're the Baron. You're going to be the future Baron. Yeah. So, yeah. So they, uh, they postpone the wedding and decide to, yeah, they divide up into thirds and, and start, uh, start the search and the so then they they're in the like kind of the hills i guess and i you kind of now that i'm thinking about it like you know we were talking about how the scenes all look or all the the set looks very fake but like the village looks pretty good like the village looks like a legit village for the most part um you know you do have like the rock cobblestone streets and everything and i'm betting that that was probably like you know a back lot set that stayed around that they probably used in a lot of things so they didn't you know it could be a little bit more substantial yeah because i don't think Um, shooting on location was necessarily a thing right because yeah i don't (laughs) not at that point 
So it had to be a backlog. Yeah, yeah. And so, but then you go right from this like realistic village to, you know, them going through the hills and it's all like, you know, paper mache rocks and stuff. It it looks very much like a play again, which I guess that also kind of like, you know, an artistic choice, but it also kind of carries the story in a way and that like the village is real life. And then you have this whole monster story and all this like science fiction um, supernatural kind of stuff. And that all looks more fantastic. Yeah. Like it looks. Yeah. So yeah. So then you've got various scenes of people running through like two or three identical <laughs> little sets of like literally two or three little literally it's yeah. it's like they pan out to the big wide open area where people are running to and fro then they'll literally cut to like the left side of that where there's like a couple people coming down the side of the mountain quote quote and then maybe they cut to the right side and they're just walking off it's like you can clearly tell i mean maybe it's easier <laughs> nowadays because high def but yes basically they repeat parts of it and even some of the actual like running back and forth seems to be repeated as well or they just yeah ran on their circuit whatever they had them do yeah and so then you've got i think the creature does i think he strangles one more search party person he attacks they like they find yeah he attacks yeah they so they find like an unconscious or like injured man Mm -hmm. and then you have the creation and the creator meet again well i like how henry decides to basically go off on his own and he's like hey guys over here and no one pays attention to the leader of this party (laughs) while he scales this rock and like you said he's at this moment attacked by the monster or his son effectively (laughs) yeah and so so then we get to the windmill scene that we were talking about earlier Um, can we take a step back though i i noticed a stunt i'm sorry i i pick out little details and i apologize for that yeah yeah go for it so did you notice that when they were scuffling uh they threw the torch down and uh what's his name uh colin clive henry frankenstein literally falls on the torch and almost burns his boot i did (laughs) notice that yeah it was like yeah, I, I feel like that probably wasn't planned that right. way, and it just kind of that that just kind of adds to the cavalier attitude of like the 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 stunt and props team. It's just like no, we're we're using the real thing, and whatever happens yeah. happens. But then again, yeah, and I mean, did they really have access to anything else at the time? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, and so presumably he he managed to get out of that unscathed. <laughs> but uh, uh, I don't know how many takes they they were doing back then, but right. I'd imagine if they had other takes where he didn't get burned, they, they probably were like, this one looks better. I mean, it looks more, you know, serious. Right. So, you know, might as well use that one. Yeah, that looked like a real fight, right? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, they do go to the windmill at this point. Uh, the doctor, I believe, is drug up slash walks with the monster <laughs> up the stairs. Which, yeah. It doesn't feel like he. It's necessarily by choice. He's he's kind of, yeah, coaxed one way or the other into this window. Well, yeah, I was reading uh, that that was actually like at the point where they're actually going up the stairs, because it was such a demanding stunt that literally uh, Colin Clive got up and kind of <laughs> helped him. He kind of leaned on Boris Karloff to actually get up the stairs. So that looks slightly more natural than it was. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I'm sure it would have been difficult to carry him under ideal circumstances, much less in like the platform shoes Mm -hmm. he's wearing and all the makeup and everything. 
Yep. And the windmill set, like it's definitely a set, but it's like it looks a little more real. Like you've got all the moving parts and like the, the gears and stuff kind of turning and everything. It's it looks really good. Like I've never been in a windmill, but it feels like what it would look like inside a windmill. Right. I could definitely see windmill stuff happening there. <laughs> yeah. And so then yeah, you get up to Henry and uh, the creature are up on the balcony. You've got the mob down below, and I think they yeah that's when they set fire to the the base of the windmill. Oh no, not yet, not yet. Remember, the monster first has to throw down Henry onto the. Uh, the actual windmill sail. <laughs> oh yeah, so he does do that before the fire, and because that is one of the scenes that like looks the, the silliest. <laughs> like it's there's definitely like a dummy, you know, like when it hits that that windmill blade, like it looks very limp. And I kind of wondered like why they went with that, but I guess that the idea was that if he fell from the balcony, he would die. But hitting the 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 blade on the way down slowed his fall enough that he would survive the fall. Right. Yeah, so that happens. So yeah, he he lands and is, is injured, and then I guess yeah, the, of course the mob's not going to set fire to the windmill while he's still up in there. But now that it's just the creature, they quickly uh, set it ablaze. Yeah, and then poor poor Frankenstein, the monster, not the not the doctor, as we mentioned earlier, uh, is running around scared for his life because he's now engulfed in flames and this you know obviously calls back to like fritz tormenting him with the torch Mm -hmm. like fire is you know i mean like it's never said in this movie but like you know fire bad is definitely like a a frankenstein type line that people you know use and like this is definitely where that comes from because yeah fire is definitely like been a source of torment for him from birth or from creation and never more so than here when he's trapped and and uh, surrounded. Right, and this is the worst. This is the saddest scene of the movie. I mean, not counting. Unfortunately, the little girl who passed that that was also unfortunate, uh, sad and unfortunate. But he's literally whimpering at the very end, like like a kid. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like it's just he, you know, he he doesn't know anything. Like all he knows is this fire hurts and and he can't get out and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's definitely just crushing to see. Then I, I noticed this is this is strange. I kind of tried to look up some stuff about this and and couldn't quite find anything. But there's like the, there is an actual windmill set that actually burns. Like you you know that you can see people, mo- you know, standing in front of it. It's it's a real set. It's really on fire. But there's just this one little scene that it cuts to for like two seconds where you can tell it's a little miniature windmill. Right. Like, uh, I'm not sure if they just wanted to extend the burning a little while longer and they, they just needed more footage or what, but, like, it's, I mean, it's all of, like, five seconds or less, but you can tell, like, you see the mob still, but they're obviously just little figurines that aren't moving. It's kind of rotoscope. Uh, they're just right? kind of silhouetted. Yeah, yeah, and, and um, I mean, it, you know, it's it doesn't look bad. Like, it looks great, but, like, it, it definitely... Like, you can tell that there's, like, a slightly different windmill just for a couple seconds there. Right. Absolutely. And that, you know, that brings the the story of the creature to a close, and then you basically have this little epilogue at the end, which I believe in there were early cuts of this that ended with the windmill burning. Right. And I guess they wanted something sort of, like, a, a sort of Up, happy ending. Uplifting, yeah. Yeah, so you get, like... Henry is, you know, in bed, sort of convalescing from his injuries. And in fact, this, you know, this scene being added later, I saw that 
it's not Colin Clive in this scene. Like that's why you know right. it's shot it's, outside he's in the background. The room. Yeah, so they just had like a stand-in in the bed. And yeah, if you really, really look, you can tell that it's not quite the same guy, but you know, it's a little out of focus and it's in the distance. So it, you got to really try to, to notice it. Right. Um, and you've got Elizabeth and Henry in bed talking and, and outside the room, you've got the Baron with the servant girls and, oh, they've, they've brought him some wine. Right. For his wine grandmother's for wine that he had saved for the special occasion. Yeah. And then uh, the Baron decides that Henry doesn't need the wine. He's got Elizabeth. Yeah. So... Instead, He's good to go. Yeah, so he he drinks a toast to the House of Frankenstein. Yep. One more time. Yep. And uh I mean it's it's the perfect ending because little did they know that the House of Frankenstein was just beginning. <laughs> right. Quite literally in some cases. Yes. And uh yeah, so that's that's how the movie ends and then you've got like the I I like the the Universal Picture logo at the end that says it's a Universal Picture. <laughs> and then you get the credits again and then here you get to see that it, it you know that boris karloff played the monster uh, the now that the movie's over the they can throw back the curtain and let you see the actor's name he was a real actor all along not some <laughs> monster we made specially for this movie yeah and i do like universal would always do this at this time like they, they put credits at the beginning and the end and on the end credits it always says a good cast is worth repeating which is just such a nice little way to uh, have the credits duplicated at the end like that. I, I feel like there should be more of that, but I also don't know that a lot of people would, would go through that necessarily unless the beginning credits were that good. And <laughs> yeah. Had, had, you know. Yeah, and of course back then the credits were much shorter and you know it's not the, <laughs> the like five to ten minute long end credits that we're used to seeing now where they have to all the special effects people and all that and right they didn't acknowledge hardly anyone other than just the core actors yeah and maybe the producer and the executive uh director and such but yeah so i mean ultimately like for nowadays i don't think it's going to necessarily there will be moments where you may be shocked where you may have a few tingles i don't think nowadays it's that scary maybe for some maybe for the young extremely young audience but i also think that this movie is like a master class in like pacing and the econ economy of storytelling oh absolutely like, there's there is no fat to this movie it's 70 minutes long it's it's just boom story you're not getting anything extra yeah and they do such a good job of like bouncing back and forth between like the fantastical scenes and the the sort of more mundane real life scenes and they you know the, the real life scenes are used so well to kind of carry the story forward uh yeah i mean it is it's just tight as a drum and uh yeah i mean i i know at the time it was was an actual horror movie but now i mean it feels more like a drama like it, you know you're you're not going to be scared but there are like emotionally resonant moments you know like we talked about like when the, the little girl dies and when the creature uh, is trapped in the windmill like those moments still hit like you still feel sympathy for the creature and for the little girl and stuff um so like you know over time our our ideas of what is scary has changed as special effects get better and uh you know we just get desensitized to violence and stuff but like true emotionally resonant moments those you know those don't diminish over time right 
And I think the the movie as as a whole basically began the us uh, sympathizing with the monster because it it's just so easy to do. Yeah. Like, it didn't ask to be brought into this world and it's is effectively still a toddler when it goes out or at least as far as this movie is concerned <laughs> to be continued dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but yeah i mean this movie you know like if this movie wasn't as good as it was i don't know that that frankenstein as a as a story would have become the the cultural icon that it is like mary shelley's book is obviously fantastic and basically gave birth to science fiction but I think it would have been like a literary curiosity that like, you know, English majors and book nerds would know, you know, like it would be on par with like Pride and Prejudice or something like it, you know, obviously still very important, but I don't think it would have had like the widespread cultural impact were it not for this movie. Right. It would be more of kind of a, um, it would be a literature uh, curiosity, as you said, not the cultural juggernaut pardon the well not don't pardon don't worry about it i meant it but yeah i mean it literally it as to what it became like everyone knows frankenstein everyone knows frankenstein's monster right oh yeah so and as opposed to people who just read books would would know it at that point right (laughs) exactly so yeah this was a very auspicious beginning for the adaptations to come for what both from universal and what would follow after that and hopefully is also going to be the same for us i think our plan is we're going to continue with the universal series so if you're following along at home and want to be prepared uh, obviously we'll be moving on next week to the bride of frankenstein uh you know and then then from there continue on with the universal trajectory and then then we will see where things take us from there definitely All right. Well, everyone, to be continued. Looks like you survived another episode. The Freaking Cast is a production of FCR Media. It's hosted by Anthony Bowman and Eric Velasquez. Follow us on Twitter at The Freaking Cast or send us a letter at thefreakingcast at gmail.com. Our cover art is by Amanda Keller. You can find her at Keller Illustrations on Instagram. Our theme music is by Vivek Abhishek. Thanks for listening.